We are continuing and concluding our series through the Gospel of John this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me in your Bibles to John 21, verse 18, at the very end of the Gospel of John, about 80% of the way uh, through the Bible that's in your hands. Uh, We started in chapter 1 in the Gospel of John a year and a half ago, uh, back in fall of 2021. And this morning, uh, we're finally at the concluding verses uh, to end that. It's bittersweet. John's been really, uh, really fun. But yes, we are at the end of that journey. Uh, For context, in this section of the narrative, Jesus is back from the dead. The tomb is empty. Uh, He has now appeared to Mary, uh, to some of the other female disciples, to uh, some of the male disciples who were gathered in a room, to Thomas, who was absent for some of those, and to others we read about in in other gospel accounts. Uh, But sometime after that series of appearances, after the first week or so post-resurrection, it appears that they don't see Jesus for a while, and Peter and some others have gone back to fishing on the Sea of Galilee, which if you go all the way back to the beginning, uh, that's that was his original form of employment. Uh, and so he's back doing what he was doing before. And then the resurrected Jesus comes to Peter and to those who were on the boat, restores Peter to himself. Because you remember, there was sort of a rift. Peter had denied him three times. Uh, and so he restores Peter to himself and sort of recommissions the disciples and really gets them going uh, in this life that he's calling them to. And as part of that commissioning, and sending out, uh, these are the final verses in John. These are the words that he says to Peter. This is what he says, picking up in verse 18. It says, Very truly I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? That's John, the author of this account. When Peter saw him, John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Jesus, as we um, think about, study, contemplate these final words that we have from you in the Gospel of John, these, these final words that you gave to Peter, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves uh, in your story, that we would also hear you uh, speaking over us in the power of the Spirit, 
about our own lives and about what lies ahead. And Lord, as we see uh, these disciples commissioned and sent out with a vision for what their lives would hold, I pray that we would have that same sense, that as we finish the Gospel of John and go out, that we would have the sense of being your disciples, of hearing your voice, uh, of having a sense of where we're at in our journey of discipleship, just as Peter does. So would you come in the power of your Spirit? Would you wake us up? Would you give us a, a map uh, in, by which we can navigate the reality in which we live uh, and help us to run well the race that you've given us to run so that we might stand before you in the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus, we are anticipating that day. We are living for that day. Would you help our, our lives, our values, the, the hours that we have align themselves with what we already believe to be true. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the end of the Gospel of John, he ends his account in a way that we wouldn't expect. It's not with Jesus ascending to heaven or crowds of people stunned by the resurrection. It's not with Jesus healing the sick or raising the dead or pouring out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. Instead, John ends his account with Jesus talking to Peter about his journey of discipleship. Isn't that interesting? This does not end the way I would expect. In fact, a year and a half ago, when we first started the series, I printed off the entire Gospel of John in a hard copy to have on paper just so I could read through it and make notes and tag resources and, and just start engaging with the Gospel of John in a hard copy format. And as I printed off, I don't even remember how many pages it was, you know, 30 pages uh, of, of printing. The very uh, final verses on the very last page said this, said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I read those, those final verses and I thought, oh man, what a beautiful way for John to end his gospel account. I haven't written down everything, but all these things I've written were that you would have faith, that you would have life, eternal life in Jesus' name. Uh, how beautiful, how fitting. And it wasn't until months later that I was studying and reading something and all of a sudden it hit me, wait a second, that's not how John ends his gospel. And so I had to go back and, and look at it again, and I realized the printer had run out of paper right at the end as I was printing. So I read those verses, and I thought, that's, that's it. That's how he ends his gospel. But it's not. It's almost like a, like a false ending. He sort of ties everything off. This is why I've written. And then there's this bonus chapter, this bonus story at the end about Peter being restored to Jesus, and then Jesus telling Peter about his journey of discipleship and what it's going to look like. Hey, Peter, here's what lies ahead. Um, and I almost picture this uh, in context like a relay race. 
Uh, and it's as if the resurrected Jesus has come to them and said, I've run my race. I, I've accomplished it. I've finished it. I've done everything that the Father set before me that needed to be done. I've run my segment of the race, but now you're not going back to fishing. You're on a new, I'm handing the baton off to you. So I've run my section. It's been accomplished. Death has been beaten, but now I'm handing the baton to you and you're going to go out and run your race and carry this gospel truth of the resurrection into the world. You have a race to run. He says, come, Peter, and follow after me. And here's what that race is going to look like for you. And what Jesus shares with Peter in this moment is the closest thing that we have uh, to what we'd call stage theory in the scriptures or an outline from Jesus himself as to uh, what the journey of discipleship looks like. He says, Peter, in the first half of your life, you dressed yourself and you felt like you were in control. You did what you wanted to do. You went wherever you wanted to go. In, in a sense, uh, life was about you and what you could catch and gather and accumulate and accomplish. But look to the horizon, Peter. There's this transition coming into the second half where things will be different. When you are old, and keep in mind, this is the ancient Near East, so life expectancy is a lot shorter. Usually when someone hit 30 to 35, uh, they were considered old, okay? Which just makes us feel even worse. But for them, it was like, oh, they're, they're in now in going into the second half of their lives. Uh, they are old. He says, when you are old, in the second half, someone else will stretch out your hands and take you to a place that you don't want to go. Now, it, and it says right here in Scripture, Jesus is telling Peter the type of death he's going to die. That's part of what he's revealing to Peter. And church history tells us that Peter was, in fact, martyred for uh, the gospel, for following after Jesus. He was crucified by the Romans upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. But this is what he's referring to. Someone else will stretch out your hands and they will lead you to a place that you don't want to go. You should know that, Peter. So he's telling Peter something uh, for his benefit, but all of this that he's telling Peter is also for our benefit. Because we've inherited that same baton that was passed to Peter and then to the people that Peter discipled and then to them and then to the next and the next right on down through history all the way to us in Spokane, Washington. We've inherited the same baton. We're running the same race. And every single one of our races in this room is going to look a little bit different because of you and who you are. But we're part of that same journey. We're part of that same relay race that we've inherited uh, right down the line from the resurrected Jesus. And if we live long enough, we too will experience what Peter experienced. If you live to full life expectancy, you will have a first half and a second half, a when you were young and when you are old, just as Jesus is describing. And people who study this and talk about this, sometimes call it the first mountain and the second mountain. There, there are two mountains to climb in life, the first half 
and the second half. Uh, and people who have studied this passage and other passages in Scripture and develop stage theory or these sort of um, images or maps for what the journey of discipleship looks like over time uh, have broken them down into this sort of first half, second half model. And this is what they would say about those. When you are young, life is largely about you. It's about what you can get, what you can gather. Uh, it's, it's about what commitments you want to make. In the first half of life, you're deciding, do I want to commit my life to Jesus and begin that covenant relationship? Do I want to uh, begin a covenant relationship of marriage? What type of career or job do I want to commit to? You're, you're making those decisions for the first time. Uh, typically, in the first half of life, you have too much energy or passion or lust or desire or ambition. Usually not all of those uh, all at once, uh, but, you, but I'm sure all of us can identify with maybe one or two of those that really jump off the list. Oh, man, in the first half, I really struggled with this sort of youthful energy. And as a result, you wrestle with the devil, so to speak over how that youthful energy is going to be expressed. It's a time where you're often uh, tested with temptation. And what, what do I do with all of this energy and desire? How do I channel it in a way that's in line with the kingdom of God uh, as opposed to other alternatives? Uh, then there's a the second half, uh, when you are old. When you are old, life is largely about others. It's about what you can give, not what you can get. It's about honoring the commitments that you already made in your youth to Jesus, to a spouse if you have one, to the career uh, that you're in, and you typically don't have enough energy, right? If the problem in youth is, what do I do with all of this energy and desire that's like electricity flowing through my veins? You know, I want to jump off a building. I'm just like crazy with energy. In the second half, that shifts to like, the question becomes, what happened to all of my energy? What happened to all of that desire and that drive? Instead of wrestling with Satan over how you will express your passions in life, instead you begin to wrestle with God. In the second half of life, we often say, wow, God, is this it? Like, is this really my life? Is this really who I've become? Is this really where my faith has plateaued? Is this really my spouse? Is this really my career? Are these really the wounds that I'm carrying and the things that you've allowed to happen in my life? We begin wrestling with God. In a sense, we're sort of saying, Lord, as, as we hit this point of moving to the second mountain, we often uh, are wrestling with God and saying, Lord, I'm kind of bummed out about the life that you've given me. It, it doesn't really measure up with the Disney princess movies that I was raised on. Right? Like life didn't actually pan out that way. Those movies, by the way, you'll notice only focus on the first half of life or the first mountain, not the second mountain. So they'll show like all of this youthful energy and adventure and maybe the beginning of commitment, 
there's like they get, you know, the prince and princess get married and, and ride off into the sunset. And what does it say as the credits roll? They lived happily ever after. You're like, what? That's it? Like in, in our movies, we often don't show the second half of life, the second mountain. We don't really have a great concept for that. But in reality, we wake up at 45 or 55 or 65, and your body is sore, and, and life is, is presented its difficulties, and that youthful energy isn't there, and, and your spouse doesn't necessarily look like a Disney prince or princess anymore. You're faced with the stark reality of life as it actually is. And before you get too bummed out or depressed, uh, the later decades of life are actually the best. I don't know that yet, but according to uh, followers of Jesus who have treaded that path uh, before us, both in terms of fruitfulness in ministry uh, but also in terms of joy and satisfaction in life. Typically, uh, the best decade of your life, if you're following after Jesus, will be your 60s. In terms of fruitfulness, joy, and satisfaction, the second best decade of your life will actually be your 70s. And the third best decade of your life is usually your 50s. Um, so for those of you who are in the sort of 35 to 45 range, uh, between the first mountain and the second mountain, uh, wrestling through the ambiguity of the midlife crisis. Uh, we love you. We're here for you. And I would argue that the best decades of your life are actually out front. Your 60s, your 70s, your 50s, that's actually where, where the real money is at. And if you're in your teens, I'm sorry. You have a long way to go. But the good news is, for the most part, what follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus report is that life generally gets better and better as you go, decade over decade. Uh, the problem is that that's not the narrative that we've inherited from culture. Uh, that we live in a culture that worships the first mountain and therefore despises the second mountain. Which makes it really difficult to embrace this model that Jesus is giving us of when you were young and when you are old. Anyone here want to get old? The pre-teenagers both raise their hands. Uh, they want to get older. Maybe some of you are wanting to get old now that I've described what's waiting out front. But before I told you that, I'm guessing none of us were sitting here thinking, wow, I really want to get old. Um, and we, because generally speaking, we don't. We don't want to get old. We despise the second mountain. That's not what's glorified in our culture. We, we try to avoid the second mountain and not embrace it. We um, hide our old people away in nursing homes to be visited at our convenience. 
Uh, we suppress and deny the reality of death and hide all of the signs of it from modern society. And, and as we do, we worship youth as a culture. We say, I want that body. I want those desires. I want that life. I want that level of selfishness that I had in my youth. And we shop at Forever 21. Just think about that. Forever 21. I, I don't think we're ever going to see a store thriving in America called Forever 65. Because right? that's not the dream. That, that's not what we hunger and thirst after as a society. We worship the first mountain, not the second one. That's why there's a massive portion of our economy that's built around looking young and feeling young. We have this whole industry of uh, beauty products and Botox and surgery and this culture of unnecessary divorce because we have people who are running back and trying to relive their experience on the first mountain. We want to cling to the first half and cling to the first mountain instead of moving on to the second one. Uh, we're obsessed with looking younger and feeling younger and reliving our younger lives over and over again. Uh, and in fact, all you have to do to really sell something in our culture is just put the words anti-aging on the label, right? It'll sell. doesn't even matter what it is. Um, I, I, I can say confidently I will never be called by God to be a CEO of a company. But if I was... I would take over the company and I would just put anti-aging on the label of whatever we were selling and watch our stock prices just skyrocket. Doesn't, I could be selling milk. It, does, it doesn't matter. Anti-aging milk. And oh yeah, I'll pay $10 a gallon for that. That sounds amazing. And, and part of the reason we're drawn to that and driven to that is because we're obsessed with the first mountain, with that youthful look, with that youthful energy, and desire. Uh, we, we want to be in the place where I dress myself and go where I want to go instead of being led by Jesus to a place I do not want to go. So the midlife crisis, the, the transition between the two mountains, between the first half and the second half, which is perhaps this moment that Jesus is having with Peter, is actually a really important moment. Peter, in a sense, is running back to what he was doing in the first mountain. I'm running back to what I did in my youth. I'm going to get, I'm going to gather. He's saying, no, 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 stop that. You're going to transition with me. You're going to die to yourself. I'm going to point you forward to the second mountain. This is what lies ahead. This is the new uh, segment of discipleship. But, but that moment is a really key moment. And, and it's what we would call the midlife crisis. Uh, and, and I think that my wife and I are, are entering that stage right now. Um, first off, if we live to the average age of death in America, we're pretty much exactly halfway through uh, our, our lifetime. So literally, technically in the middle, 
if we live to that, to those ages. But I think even more significantly than that, the midlife crisis or that valley between the two mountains uh, isn't so much about age as it is about experience. And so I, I think what we've been discerning even over the last few weeks is that we're entering this place where God's really challenging us to move from the first mountain into the second mountain, to transition uh, from a life that was about us, where we felt like we were in control and it was about what we could get and gather and build and accumulate into the second half, which is about giving everything away. Uh, in, into a life of the first half that was all about being mentored and learning and growing and absorbing everything that we could into the second half where we still want to be mentored and we still want to learn and grow. I don't think that'll ever truly go away. But, but in the first half is all about absorbing. As we transition to the second half, it's all about mentoring and, and pouring out. And, and what can we give in that sense in a meaningful uh, way uh, we're transitioning from a life of wrestling with Satan and youthful energies and youthful temptations to this moment of wrestling with God. God, is this really it? Is this who I've become? Is, is this my career? Is, is this our family? Is this my spouse? Is this to this, this critical moment where, where we have to decide how we're going to respond as we wrestle with the Lord? So, Lord, help me to accept things as they actually are. Because my you know, pastoral ministry ha has been more difficult and less glamorous than I thought it would be. And, and even marriage in some ways is, is less glamorous and more, it's really, really good and really rich, but it's harder than, than we thought it would be. And goodness knows motherhood is not as glamorous as we thought it would be. And, and you come to this moment of wrestling with reality as it actually is. Will I accept life as it is, or will I reject that? I think my wife and I are in this uh, moment that I would describe as midlife crisis or entering into that period of time where a lot of the uh, sort of youthful energy and endless vague potential and, and that sense of upward mobility that you have in the first half of life, in some ways, uh, is beginning to fade as we uh, move away from that first mountain and through the valley uh, and toward the next one. And so we're wrestling with uh, the nature of things as they actually are. Wow, life is actually harder than I thought it would be. And I had this image of what ministry would be like and how the church would grow, and how we would uh, be planting more churches, and, and, and just changing the world. But then you're faced with the reality of, of what is. Oh, I had this image of how motherhood would go, and, and how we would grow our family, and where we would be by 2023. Does that match the reality uh, of what actually is? 
This, it's an important moment when, when we have that, um, when we're faced with those things. Uh, some of the, the hopeful optimism and, and endless vague potential that then meets, oh, this is it. This is who I've become. This is our ministry. This is our family. This is our marriage. This is our children. Not as we wish they were or thought they might be, but as they actually are. In the first half of life, the sky was the limit and I was in control. It's full of unknowns and potentials. And in the first half of life, I, I can become what I want. I can marry whoever I want. I can choose whatever career I want. I, I'm, I'm going to change the world. I dress myself and go where I want to go. But in the moment of midlife crisis, a lot of the um, wishful thinking and sort of fantasy uh, is met with reality. Uh, vague potentials begin to disappear. You, you wake up one morning and you realize, wow, the sky isn't the limit. And, and this is it. This is the path I've chosen. This is the, the person I'm becoming. And I didn't change the world. We didn't plant as many churches as we thought. And we didn't, don't have as many kids as we desired. And we don't, whatever it is. When, when dream is met with reality, and then in that moment, begin wrestling with God. God, is, is this it? Is this the life? That you've given me. So in some ways, I, I can speak from this perspective because I feel like my wife and I are in that valley between the two mountains. So at this point in this season, uh, we, we then have two choices to make as to how we want to move forward in following after Jesus. The first option is that we can reject the invitation of Jesus to enter the second mountain. And by rejecting the second mountain, the only option you have is to run back to the first mountain. And you see a lot of this, even in our classic sort of midlife crisis stereotypes, right? What do you do? You run back to the first mountain. You try to relive your youth and that uh, youthful energy. We reject reality as it is, and we go backwards. Uh, we try to stay in control. We uh, live in a world of vague potential and wishful thinking, uh, a fantasy world when it comes to ministry or family or marriage or health or whatever it might be uh, that you've constructed in your mind. But if we do that, we'll be in denial. We'll, we'll be ignoring reality and also at war with reality at the same time. We'll be suppressing what actually is and grinding against it uh, in our minds. And if we choose that route, it's going to affect our marriage it's going to affect our children, and ultimately our journey of discipleship, our entire lives will be stunted if we try to run backwards instead of forwards. And in really sad examples, you see people endlessly trying to cling to the first mountain, uh, and, and it begins to eat them alive as they do that. That's one option. The other option as we come through midlife crisis, which is, I think, a real and often confusing time of life, 
it feels like you've already gone backwards. In reality, you haven't. But in this real and confusing time, we can choose to go the other way. We can choose to push through that valley and into the second mountain. We can accept reality as it actually is and say, Jesus, this is the life that you've given me. This body, these health issues, this marital status, this spouse, if you're married, this story, this failure, this past, this wound, this career, whatever it is. Instead of running from reality, we can embrace reality and we can surrender to Jesus in a deeper and truer way than we ever have before. We come to him and say, Jesus, I'm ready to enter the second mountain. I, I am ready to stretch out my hands, to die to myself, and be led by you to a place that I don't naturally want to go. If it were up to me, I wouldn't go there. But I'll surrender to you and allow you to lead me to a place that I don't want to go. I'm ready for the second half. And for some of you this morning, I think that's the challenge, that Jesus is trying to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. He's trying to lead you like Peter did. Peter, don't run backward. Come with me and embrace reality in the present and lift your eyes to the horizon. Here's what's coming. Here's the second mountain. But something in us fights that. It says, Jesus, can't I stay young? Or can't I stay selfish? Can't I stay on the first mountain? and cycle through consumer purchases, and, and in darker examples, cycle through spouses, always looking for that one that's 20 years younger so I can go back and relive the first mountain again. Can't I stay in that place? And Jesus says, no. When you were a child, you thought like a child. You acted like a child. But when you become a man, when you become a woman, you put childish things behind you. You leave the first mountain in God's timing, and, and you move into something that's deeper and richer and more sacrificial and more life-giving than what you had before. The best decades are out front, but only if you embrace them. Only if you're willing to follow Jesus through a death of self and into the life that lies on the other side. Only if you're willing to leave the first mountain, go through the valley with him, and in to the second. It's your choice. He will not force you to make that decision. But look around. Look at real life examples. Consider these things in the presence of the Lord. And consider this. Those who want to cling to their lives and make life about them and what they can get and what they can gather, ultimately it will slip through their fingers. You will lose it. 
you will actually end up poisoning the life that God wants to give you. But those who die to themselves, those who give their lives away, go through that valley, actually find something deeper and richer and more beautiful and more satisfying than anything you can find in clinging to the first mountain. This is why uh, often you'll find the people who are able to do this well and embrace the second half of life are often the most content, beautiful, balanced, spirit-filled, joyful, satisfied people on the planet because they followed Jesus to a place they didn't want to go. The ultimate sign of maturity, the height of discipleship. Jesus, I will follow you to a place that I don't want to go. Let's pray. Jesus, we bring our lives before you this morning. And I ask, Lord, that in the power of your Spirit, you would help us to accept our lives as they actually are. The story that you've written so far, may we accept that. The body that you've given us, that will be perfected in resurrection, but is just has all sorts of stuff wrong in this age. The spouse that we have, if we're married, uh, the, the job or calling or stage of school that we're in, Lord, would you help us to accept reality as it actually is? I just think of Peter in that moment when you confronted him, when you were leading him from the first mountain to the second mountain. He did what so many of us naturally do, is that he looked over his shoulder at another disciple and said, well, what about him? What, what about that? Why can't I have his story? Why can't I have that spouse, that house, that car, those kids, that whatever it is? Why doesn't my story look like that? Why doesn't my story look like I thought it would be when I dreamed about it in my youth? Lord, some of us are um, held captive by jealousy and comparison which can so often just be fueled by what it is that we're viewing on our phones and computers. Lord, for those who who have a, a stronghold of comparison and jealousy, and why don't I have that person's life? Lord, I pray you would speak into that this morning. With all of your love, with all of your grace, with all of your presence and power, that you might be walking among us this morning and saying to some, what's that to you? What's that to you? That's not your story. That's not your life. Lord, would we begin the process of breaking down strongholds of comparison, 
and jealousy this morning. Would you free us to be who we are in you, to run the race that you've called us to run? Lord, don't let us waste our lives hungering and thirsting for someone else's story. Don't let us stay in that place that that, that moment Peter had of saying, what about him? Holy Spirit, would you help us begin releasing those things this morning? Lord, I, I lift up those this morning who maybe feel like they're between mountains, who maybe are standing on the second mountain but still attempting to reject reality, still looking back at the first mountain and, uh, and longing for that. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that like Peter, you, you wouldn't let us stay there, that you wouldn't let us run backward, that you, you wouldn't let us revert, but that you would come as the good shepherd and just whisper, there's more out front that's waiting for you. If only you'll embrace what lies ahead. If only you're willing to let me lead you to a place that you don't want to go. So would you come now, Holy Spirit, begin working in our hearts. We're all in a different lap of the race in this room from elementary school and middle school all the way up to the 60s. Lord, we're all in a different lap, but we're all running these races together after you. So would you come now as we worship, as we pray, as we wait on you, would you speak to each one and, and tell us what we need to hear in this season, in this, in this decade, in this, in this year? Would you begin whispering us, revealing to us as you did to Peter, here's what I'm calling you to embrace in this season. We look to you, Jesus. Would you come and work in our